If you have your Bibles this evening, turn to Revelation chapter 1. We are going to look at the first three verses for the last couple of weeks. We have been in introduction mode and um, looking at some means of interpretation, how to interpret Revelation. And uh, everybody gets all nervous and gets giddy and thinking about this mysterious book. But uh, nonetheless, it is a book that, uh, that should offer us encouragement and hope in our present day and age. We read in Revelation 1, 1 through 3, The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him, to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. And he sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant John, who bear record of the word of God and of the testimony of Jesus Christ and of all things that he saw. Blessed is he that readeth and they that hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written therein, for the time is at hand. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Father, we thank you that you have not hid yourself from us, but God, that you have in one, in one way revealed yourself to us through creation. But God, even more specifically, you have revealed yourself to us through your word. So Father, we thank you for regeneration that brings life into uh uh, someone who was once spiritually dead. And Father, it is your spirit that gives us understanding of your word. And so, Father, we pray that that spirit this evening would lead us into the truth of your word. It would give us understanding, help us to see to, uh, how this uh, applies to our life. Lord, how it's not just uh, knowledge to be gained and stored in our mind, but God, it, it is knowledge that works itself out into our everyday life. And Father, as we go about the ministry of the church, Lord, it offers us hope. Father, as we look forward to that day when our, we will receive that new body, that body that is without sin. So Father, I pray, uh, God, that you would give us ears to hear what the Spirit has to say this evening. We praise you and we thank you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, the book of Revelation is seen as a mysterious and hard-to-be-understood book. I remember early on in my pastoral ministry, um, I, I wouldn't approach Revelation. I, I had some people ask me, uh, when are you going to preach through Revelation? I said, I'm not. I, I'm, I was scared of it, and I didn't tell them that, but I, I was scared of it. And it part was in due to that I didn't have some things settled. Uh, one, I didn't have the eschatology settled. I, I didn't have that issue settled. And, and through the providence of God, um, uh, through through some conversations and through study and through his spirit opening his word up to me, um, I, I can say now I've got it settled and, and I'm confident in what the Bible has to say regarding the end. So my approach on a personal level is now not to look at Revelation as something that's mysterious and, and can't be understood and, and, and all these, these things that people make it out to be, but it's to look at a, a book now and I can see, hey, Look, this is meant for us. It's meant for us to, 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 uh, to, an to be an encouragement to us. But as we'll see here in a moment, it's meant for us to be understood. It's not meant to be hidden. Some would even think that, that it can only be understood by some elites in the church. You know, there's just this handful of people in the church as a whole, relatively speaking, that can only truly, really understand um, revelation, right? Like it's at this, it's at the top tier of levels uh, that you try, that you can reach only by some elite people. 
But if Revelation is such a mysterious book and hard to be understood, what benefit is it to Christians throughout the ages? If Revelation is a book that can only be understood by those elite Christians, then what good does it do for the everyday Christian? Well, what about those that are not prone to uh, just spend hours upon hours studying, but would diligently read God's Word to see what God has for them in His Word and how they must live their life? The very title of the book debunks the idea that it is meant to be understood by only a handful of elites. The revelation of Jesus Christ. It is the revelation of Jesus Christ, right? One commentator observes that these three verses contain a general summary of the whole book. That if we read the, the first three books, or as we read the first three verses of this first chapter, that we get an idea and a sense of what revelation is about. It's the, the revealing of God's purpose and plan in redemptive history through His Son, Jesus Christ. This commentator further states, the revelation is given to John as a heavenly commentary on what God has done in Christ so that John will bear witness to it. So not only is it a book that is not just for the elite to understand, and we'll see this here in a little bit too, it's a book that must be proclaimed. It's, it's a, a book that, that we must bear witness to what is taking place. Revelation is going to require us, though, to don our thinking caps. It's going to require us to engage our mind and force us to think through some things we have been taught previously and see how they all, or if they fit into Scripture. I can promise you, people that are listening to this, those who are in attendance have been taught some things about the book of Revelation that don't line up with the whole of Scripture. Now we'll see this as we get further into the book of Revelation, but we see, these, we see images and, and things in the, in the book of Revelation of these dragons and, and of grasshoppers and of things of that nature. You've you got to understand that this is apocalyptic literature, and, and those people in the day that it was written would have known exactly what those images represented. So that we today can't take those images and say, well, it means this in our culture today. That's not, we don't have that authority. We don't have that freedom to do that with the Word of God. As a matter of fact, at the end of Revelation, John says that if any man add to or take away from this book, basically let him be cursed, right? We don't want to add to the book. We don't want to take away from what is there as well. The issue we have been faced with in the past in regard to Revelation is the tendency of many to over-sensationalize while misinterpreting this magnificent book altogether. There's a whole series of books and movies made on one, a, a, a misinterpretation of eschatology in general, but then taking aspects of Revelation and misinterpreting it as well. And this leads us to our first point. The book of Revelation is meant to be understood. Notice our text starts off by declaring this is the revelation of Jesus Christ. 
the word revelation by its very nature gives the idea of something put on display to be seen and made known. Not something to be hid, not something to be veiled, not something to be covered, not something mysterious, not something that can't be understood, but something that must be put on display, something that must be open. The word revelation simply means uncovering, unveiling or to take the lid off, as one commentator wrote. When I read that, I I thought of a pot of gumbo, oddly enough, right? You smell, you smell the roux cooking, and you smell all the other things that go into the gumbo. No tomatoes do not go into gumbo. You smell the chicken, you smell the sausage, you smell the the spices. And and you start to get a a sense, right, of, of the gumbo. You start to get, maybe you begin to imagine what it tastes like. Tiff and I had COVID a couple of weeks ago and we still don't have taste or smell. So when we eat something, we, we have to imagine what it tastes like, right? But it's not until you go into the kitchen and you pull the lid off of the gumbo and you get a bowl and you begin to dip out that magnificent nectar known as gumbo that you begin, that it is revealed to you, right? What you could only see or smell in part, you now get the full sense of that the lid has been taken off. And folks, that's exactly what we're doing with Revelation. We are going to see Jesus Christ in this book as we've never seen Him before. We are going to see Him in all His glory as He fights for His church. As, as the church marches forward, and, and he told the, 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 the disciples in Matthew, when, when Peter boldly said that thou art Christ, the Son of the living God, in response to the question that Jesus asked of whom do you say that I am? And Jesus said to Peter, thou art Peter, and upon this rock, not you, Peter, but the rock, me, the rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So what we see in Revelation is this war that has been raging. This spiritual warfare that is taking place. And it is Jesus Christ leading His church into battle. And there are times when it looks like the church is getting her behind kicked. But what happens on the other side is that we come out victorious. What follows in Revelation is the unveiling of Jesus Christ from His ascension when the church age began to His second advent. You want to know what Revelation is about? The church age, the warfare that I just mentioned. It it is the, 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 uh, the building of the kingdom of God. That there are battles to be waged. There, there are battles to be fought. And that's when we see Jesus. The revelation could be summed up by stating this is the work of Christ in and through His church in this fallen world. As we will see from chapter 4 onward, the church will face many attacks, but in the end, she will be victorious. To get an idea of this term revelation, John that John uses here, we need to go back to Daniel chapter 2. If you would turn over there with me to Daniel chapter 2. 
trouble finding Daniel. Daniel chapter 2 verse 28 through 30. But there is a God in heaven that revealeth secrets. Now Nebuchadnezzar has this dream and he gets his wise men and he says I need to know what the dream is. And he puts out this decree that if you can't tell me the dream then I'm killing all the wise men. And God through an act of mercy and grace reveals the dream to Daniel and Daniel is giving acknowledgement that it is God in verse 28 but there is a God in heaven that revealeth secrets that's the same word that we see in Revelation chapter 1 he goes on to say in verse 28 and maketh known to the king Nebuchadnezzar what shall be in the latter days now if we take and apply this to the scripture it is the God of heaven that reveals himself and his son Jesus to us through his word. If it doesn't come from God, if the revelation doesn't come from God, then it's not revelation at all. And that revelation is not just knowledge that we put in our head, but it is knowledge that is lived out through our actions. He goes on to say, Thy dream and the visions of thy head upon thy bed are these. As for thee, O king, the thoughts came into thy mind upon thy bed, when it, uh, what should come to pass hereafter, and he that revealeth secrets maketh known to thee what shall come to pass. Now, this is the kingdom has, is, eventually gets rent from Nebuchadnezzar for a period of time, for about seven years I think it was. And he is as a bird or, or as some kind of animal. They, they don't have a name for that animal, but some animal that wanders around in the field. And after a period of time, his senses come back to him. A, 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 what I believe is a sign of regeneration of what God does in the heart of someone who previously despised him. As a matter of fact, from that point on, when his senses are restored to Nebuchadnezzar, you see a man who is vastly different than he was before. He no longer is walking around a kingdom saying, look what I've done. Matter of fact, you don't hear much from him after this. And legend, it's, it's, it's believed that he uh, uh, gave the kingdom over to his son and he just basically rode off into the sunset and retired, as it were. You don't hear nothing from him. G.K. Beale, in his commentary on Revelation, says this, in regards to Daniel 2 as well, the significance of this Old Testament background for verse 1 is best understood from examination of the following phrase, to show what must come to pass. Now, he, he goes on to say that this does not speak of the speedy nature of these things taking place, and, and that's exactly our problem, right? That we, we read Revelation and we see things like they must come to pass, they will shortly come to pass, or they will shortly take place, and we think there's an urgency to it that it's going to happen immediately, but that's not what it's talking about. So here we are almost 2,000 years later after this has been written, and we're still looking at it must come to pass. Well, if it's not talking about the immediacy of it coming to pass, what is it talking about? It's talking about the certainty that it's going to come to pass. And it has already begun. 
1 John 2.18 says that even now it is the last hour. But we must keep in mind that Peter said in his second epistle, chapter 3, that a day, of, a day with the Lord is as a thousand years and a thousand years is one day. It's not about time with God. It's not about time. And we're going to see that it is about soul. So what God is doing is he's accomplishing what he has desired to accomplish and that his word will go forth and for some will be a savor of life and a life and for others it will be a savor of death unto death. This is exactly, I want you to understand that this is exactly what I've been saying all along about the return of Christ. The church has always believed in the imminent return of Christ which we have said speaks to its sudden, suddency or its suddenness. But the other side gets left off. You see, there, there's gonna, when Jesus returns, those that are left are going to say, man, that was quick. Right? We, we, we see some things taking place, and there's going to be this in, intense time of persecution in, in that shortened season, and Jesus returns. We're going to say, man, that was quick. But what we need to understand, what gets ignored in this return of Christ is the certainty of His return. The certainty of His return. You see, the false teachers in 2 Peter brought up the question of where's the promise of His coming? And while, while, while Christian pastors and teachers and, and, and preachers have been preaching for, for ages the sudden return of Christ, I'm sure there are people who are saying, where's the promise of His return? But Jesus said, I will come again. I'm coming back. Now, the first point being in Revelation 1, that it's meant to be understood. It's a book that doesn't have secrets and, and, and hidden codes and, and things of that nature that you've got to try to figure out. It's a book meant to be understood. By whom? Well, look in, the, in verse 1, goes on to say, we're back in Revelation 1 now, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him to show unto his servants. It's meant to be understood by his people, by his servants. Those who have been brought into a relationship with him by the proclamation of the gospel and the regenerating power of the Holy Spirit. The word used here for servant in the Greek actually means a slave. Yes, I said a slave. And that's not popular in our culture today to talk about slavery, right? We're trying to get rid of every remembrance of history in our, uh, and, and, and every remembrance of, of slavery in our country. All the meanwhile, the Bible talks about slavery, right? What is a slave? It, it, it's, the word is actually doulos. And John MacArthur, I think he wrote a whole book on, on just this one thing. It's one who is in a permanent relationship of servitude to another. His will being altogether consumed in the will of the other. Folks, this is not a very popular word in our cult and our climate today. As a matter of fact, it doesn't even sound at all like modern day Christianity. Right? That, that the idea in modern day Christianity is just a volunteer army, so why don't you volunteer to serve Jesus? Well, that's not the idea that we get from this word slave. 
If you're liken it to an army, it's not like a volunteer army. It is like an army where you get drafted. What about Paul? You think Paul was riding down the road to Damascus, going with letters in hand to go persecute the Christians and stop and say, guys, I think I'm going to follow Jesus now. No, it was God invading his life and Paul falling on his face and saying, Who art thou, Lord? Jesus asked the question, Paul, why are you kicking against the goads? Why are you kicking against the pricks? The goad was, well, to liken it to our, today was a cattle prod. Right? Those, those, those electronic cattle prods are kind of neat. You can get those cows to do anything you want to with them. Get them in a chute. You got to back them up a little bit. Zap them between the eyeballs. They'll back up. You want them to move forward, touch them on the behind with it. They'll move forward. Jesus saying, Paul, why are, you, why are you doing this? You can't kick against me. You can't kick against this kingdom. Folks, the question you need to consider for those who would name the name of Christ, if the servant is one whose will is wrapped up or consumed in the will of the other, is your will wrapped up and subject to the one you profess to follow? Are you concerned, is, is your main concern, is your main drive to do the will of him who has called you into salvation? It is to these people, to those whom God has sovereignly saved, to those whom God has reached and pulled us out of the miry pit of sin, it is to these people that this revelation has been given. You see, the, the revelation is not to a select few elites who sit in ivory towers nor reside in seminaries. This revelation is available to those who will diligently seek Him through His Word. Folks, this speaks to the sufficiency of Scripture that is sorely lacking in our day. We are finding all sorts of other means to, to try to guide our thought and our ideology and our beliefs, and yet while, all the meanwhile trying to hold it with the Scripture as well. And I would submit to you th this evening that if the Bible is not sufficient at all, then it's not, if for all things, it's not sufficient at all. We need to set aside those, those godless ideologies and rest in the Scripture. Consider what Peter said in his second epistle. If you want to turn over there, just a couple of pages in your Bible. 2 Peter chapter 1. <coughs> Beginning at about verse 16. For we have not followed cunningly devised fables which we, when we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Peter is saying, hey, look, we didn't have to come to you with these unique stories and these hip stories and, and, and things to try to apply the word of God to you. We came not with you with these cunningly devised fables, but we were witnesses of his majesty. We saw what took place on the Mount of Transfiguration. 
For he received from God the Father honor and glory where there came such a voice in, uh, to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And this voice which came from heaven we, we heard when we were with him in the holy mount. This is what took place on the Mount of Transfiguration. It was Peter, James, and John that were with him. And they saw the transfiguration of Jesus. They heard the voice of God saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. But notice what Peter says in verse 19. We have also a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto ye do well that you take heed as unto a light that shineth in a dark place until the day dawn and the day star rise in your hearts. We have a more sure word of prophecy. You know what Peter's saying? You've got something more sure than my eyewitness account of what took place upon the Mount of Transfiguration. You've got the word of God. And that's what he goes on to say in verse 20. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation. It can be understood, folks. The Bible is meant to be understood, and we will see that Revelation is meant to be understood. And, and this, this private interpretation does not mean that you interpret it one way and I get to interpret it another. No, there is only one way to interpret the Scripture. Verse 21, For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. The, the, the revelation of Jesus Christ is meant to be understood by you and I. It's not just for pastors. It can be understood by the people of God. The means of delivery of this revelation... God handed it to Jesus, who handed it to angels, who then delivered it to John, who then records it for us. And what's unique or what's neat about Revelation is it picks up where Daniel left off. In Daniel 12, Daniel was told, shut up the book, close the book, Revelation is sealed, and prophecy is sealed, nothing more to see, Daniel. We come to Revelation now, and John is basically told, grab a pen, grab a paper, get ready because it's coming. Revelation itself is a testimony to strengthen the test to, to strengthen. Revelation itself is a testimony intended to strengthen the testimony of its readers. Do you hear that? It's intended to strengthen the testimony of its readers, of those who would read it and obey it. Its message carries full divine authority and authenticity. And we, we see this. As a matter of fact, turn over to uh, to Daniel, or not Daniel, but uh, Revelation 19. Revelation 19, verse 10. And I fell at his feet to worship him, and he said unto me, See thou do it not. I am thy fellow servant and of thy brethren that have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Its message carries full divine authority and authenticity. It came directly from God. 
Revelation not only pronounces judgment on the faithless, but also blessing on the faithful. So it's meant to be understood, folks. It's not meant to be hid. It's not meant to be muddied. muddied. It's not meant to be covered. It's meant to be unveiled. It's meant to be, uh, it's meant to be understood. Secondly, it's meant to be proclaimed. The revelation was given to a faithful minister who was an eyewitness of the earthly ministry of our Lord. The Apostle John was the last, uh, was the only apostle who died of natural causes. But he was also a, an apostle that walked hand in hand, as it were, with our Lord. Think about all that he saw in those three and a half years that he walked with him in this earthly ministry. Now he gets a picture of what God is doing through Christ in redemptive history in the history of the church. What will follow in this vision will be judgment upon those who hate God. Again, get this in, in your mind that what we're going to see take place in the book of Revelation is spiritual warfare. It's God building his kingdom and Satan coming against God to try to, try to keep him from building this kingdom. It, it, is, it is Satan coming against God to discourage the people of God. And how discouraging is it that when we're constantly preaching, constantly proclaiming the word of God, that we don't see immediate fruit for it, that we get discouraged and Satan comes in at a time and tries to discourage us and say, why is it worth it? Why is it worth it? Because it is a message that has come directly from God. Why is it worth it? Because it is a message that brings life to those who receive it by faith. Time would not allow us to look at history and examine ways that God has judged those who would persecute His church. I, I would submit to you this evening that this pandemic that we've been going through for a year now is part of the judgment of God. Not upon America, but upon the world. So we must tell the lost of judgment to come. Folks, if your message of the gospel to people is God loves you and has this wonderful plan for your life, it's, a, it, it's, it's at, best a, a, at best partial gospel. At worst, it's a false gospel. If your gospel doesn't speak of judgment to come, it is no gospel at all. This message requires urgency for we know not when the day of the Lord will be. We don't know when that day will come. This message requires boldness for we cannot be cowards in proclaiming that Jesus is the only way of salvation. Jesus is not a spoke and a wheel of many ways to God. He is the only way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No man can come to the Father except through me. This is an exclusive gospel. It excludes all other religions as false. If you're saying you're a Christian and you're saying, well, Jesus ain't the only way, folks, you're not a Christian. You are not a Christian in any way, shape, or form. You may say you're a Christian, but you are not a Christian. This message requires boldness. It's not for cowards. He's not one of many spokes, folks. Just get that. 
His only way, He's the only way to be reconciled with the holy, righteous judge of all. I, I'm going to close right here. I, I've got two other points. It's meant to give us hope. And we're going to look at Romans 8, 18 through 25. And then the, the, the fourth one is... Uh, at the rest of that next week I, I, I don't want to mess my notes up here but um, it, it's meant to give us hope and it's meant to be obeyed right that'd be our fourth point it's meant to be heard it's meant to be read it's meant to be obeyed I, I hope you have been encouraged tonight I, I the, the more I get into this the more excited I get about this may God be glorified in in, in our obedience to him as we hear more of the revelation of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time together. Father, we thank you for your word. I pray your people would be encouraged. I pray your people would find hope. And I pray that we would go forward proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ with great urgency. We praise you and we thank you in the name of Jesus. Amen.